This is SG2 Perspectives, a conversation with SG2 experts and industry thought leaders about the biggest trends in healthcare and what we expect that's going to mean for the future of healthcare delivery. I've been doing this for a very long time, and I can't remember a moment like this where both sides of the equation are under stress. And I don't see that stress changing. Healthcare is a massively capital-intensive business, and its ability to generate capital from internal operating activity is going to remain strained, I think, in 2023. Welcome to SG2 Perspectives. I'm your host, Trevor Durin. Today, we have a fun episode. Maybe fun's not the right word, considering we're talking about the state of the economy in 2023 and how we expect that's going to impact healthcare utilization, hospital and health systems operations, and financing. To do that, we've asked two of our partners from Kaufman Hall, Lisa Goldstein, who our listeners have heard from before, and Eric Jordal, to join us to share what they're hearing from the market and what they're anticipating participating for the near and midterm based on the state of the economy. Eric and Lisa, thank you so much for joining us today. I'll jump right in because we've been learning a lot from you all about how we should and how health systems think about their financial health in terms of the operating side of their business, the financing side of the business, and their investment arm. And I'll ask some specific questions about each of those. I'll start with some higher level questions. And I know Tori has some questions she wants to ask too. So she'll jump in for the second half. Lisa, I'll go to you first on the operating side. Most systems feel like they need resources right now. That's why there's been so much pressure on the expense side. But it's hard to imagine that getting easier in a recession or at least a challenging economy in the near term. Can you talk about the pressures that you see on both the expense and revenue side for health systems and what your outlook and expectations are for 2023 in the near term beyond? Be happy to, and it's great to be here. We continue to be in a difficult financial period for not-for-profit healthcare. As you know, we compute data every month that tracks year-to-date performance. Through November, we still have parentheses around the bottom line. Operating income is still an operating loss. So while it seems to be getting a little bit stair-step better, in good times, the industry will have something around a 2% operating margin, and now we're still in the negative territory. This creates a very difficult time because, as we know, there's so much demand on operations to generate cash flow, to build liquidity, because not-for-profit healthcare basically has one source to fund their capital, which is debt and borrowing. You cannot fund your future on a 2% margin, and that's in a good year. So a tremendous amount of pressure indeed on the expense side. We have talked about labor back and forth, up and down since the beginning of the pandemic. And a couple of points to remind everybody, labor was rickety going into the pandemic. Second point is that it's not just nurses, all forms of labor, we are in a shortage. So technicians, security, cafeteria, accounting, rev cycle, we are in a real tough time when it comes to workforce issues. For any hospital on average, labor is over half of the expense base. There you go, right there, that's your starting point where you're in a challenged position. We are seeing a number of expense-related strategies where hospitals can improve their efficiencies, which is tough to do in any dynamic enterprise, and certainly healthcare is one of those. On the revenue side, we could talk forever about this, but it is also very challenging. So let's go back in time, back to the basics. Revenues are comprised of two components, price and unit of service. Unit of service for healthcare is volumes, and volumes are just unpredictable. 
right now. Many are telling us in our data show, we are not back to pre-pandemic levels of surgeries, admissions, emergency rooms for sure, which for many, that is the portal into the facility. Volumes are very choppy, which makes it very difficult to budget. And then on the price side, you know, Medicare by far is the largest consumer of healthcare for any hospital. There have been some rate increases annually for Medicare, but we're now in sequestration period. We don't see any, at this point, extraordinary relief like we had the CARES Act coming. So no CARES Act Part 2. FEMA dollars are out there, but they will not measure what the CARES Act was or be at that same level. And not everyone will qualify for FEMA. So we don't see any unusual, extraordinary support coming. At this point, Medicare rates are fair, plus sequestration, which takes some of the rate increases away. Medicaid is largely a state-by-state decision. States overall are in pretty good financial health, and we can talk about this later, but we do anticipate a decline in Medicaid enrollment when the public health emergency is lifted. And then that leaves the commercial managed care rate side, which overall rates have come down over the past couple of decades. We have a tremendous time inequity here in healthcare in that expense changes are now and in the present, but yet most commercial contracts are two and three years before they recycle and are renegotiated. You have this mismatch of expense changes versus revenue, the ability to change revenues. But we can certainly be hopeful. And many organizations are telling us that they anticipate getting better rates given the labor and the inflation issues. On the revenue side, it is also a challenging time and there's really just one pocket to lean on and that's going to be the commercial side. That's where we are presently and for the near term, a snapshot. Long answer to your very important question. The Federal Reserve has sort of one lever. It's a very blunt instrument to try to slow demand and they're trying to reset some of the labor pressures generally and it's not working very well. Unfilled job positions, job postings, they've come down a little bit, but they're still very high relative to historical averages. So small business hiring, all sorts of people want to hire. The ability to solve labor, I mean, labor participation rates remain low. We haven't seen a whole lot of improvement on that. And it's a real question about how does that reset And again, I think that what the other concern is that the Fed is going to continue to be pushing against that. And what kind of success are they actually going to have in changing the labor dynamic? They can change certain things and they can cool economic activity. But is that going to have a whole lot of positive impact on labor participation or certainly on the healthcare sub economy? That's a real structural problem for healthcare. And then to Lisa's point on the revenue side, the only party in the equation that can exceed its stated resources and just print money is the federal side, is the Medicare side of the equation. Everybody else has got some level of resource constraint and how recession, how Fed actions, how all of these different efforts to slow economic activity, how those ripple across those is, I think, going to create additional revenue headwinds. 2023 at a minimum is going to be very difficult on both the revenue and expense side of the equation. One thing the Fed does control is the credit environment. And Lisa mentioned that's how health systems have to fund growth, even those with traditionally higher margins than low single digits. Eric, what's the credit environment going to look like in the near term? What does that mean for health systems? 
how is that going to change how they think about risk and balance sheet health and long-term strategy? I've been doing this for a very long time, and I can't remember a moment like this where both sides of the equation are under stress. And I don't see that stress changing. Healthcare is a massively capital-intensive business, and its ability to generate capital from internal operating activity is going to remain strained, I think, in 2023. All three rating agencies now have negative outlooks on the sector. A year ago, we had a negative, a neutral, and a stable. Now all three are negative. In 2022, the numbers are coming out now, more downgrades than upgrades by all three. Maybe there's some tempering of that in 2023, but it's not going to be a year of high upgrades. But it is important to note that there were upgrades during 2022, and some are improving on the credit scale. When there was a rating action, it was downward, so downgrades. Its credit is so important, it translates into lower cost of capital, but the ability to access capital, as Eric said, is going to be tougher. It's going to be more expensive, but yet hospitals can only hold their capital breath for so long. And many have been with COVID, like we're going to hold off on strategic capital, just do patient safety routine replacement. But then it's also a very competitive industry and you want state-of-the-art facilities. You want to be regarded for highest quality care and that takes funding. That's a very specialized enterprise for healthcare. At some point, you cannot let your age of plant get too far out there before you lose your curb appeal or you lose your ability to recruit physicians, staff, et cetera, bring in patients. At some point, you have to restart the spending, maybe more judiciously, but you have to re-engage on spending. And it's either going to be through debt or spending that cash flow which will limit your ability to raise your cash reserves. The stats were in 2020, in total debt issuance across not-for-profit healthcare, it was $52 billion, which was a high, and it was all fueled by the Fed effectively pushing rates to ridiculously low levers, using every lever that they had between quantitative easing and Fed funds rates to just create an incredibly accommodative funding environment. And healthcare definitely took advantage of that. Federal dollars, MAP dollars coming in, all sorts of things. So you think about that moment of initial COVID dislocation, there was huge balance sheet tailwinds that gave rating agencies and the whole credit community almost like a free pass for a stretch because there was just so much money that was available at such cheap levels. Fast forward to 2022, and I think we closed out at issuance around $28 billion, which is at the historically low end of the sector. And what it reflects, again, is this sea change in the whole game of continued operating pressure. But now you've got a balance sheet market environment that's much less accommodating. And so issuance, to Lisa's point, a lot of capital spending got pulled back last year. And I think 2023, it will be a question of where does that capital come from? I think it's going to be strained from operations. I think the debt markets are going to be challenging. And the other third place you can go is to residual investment portfolios. And once you start spending those, you just reduce your credit resiliency. There's not a good answer. And that's the a fundamental challenge the industry is going to have over 2023. Right. One of the things, Eric, we've talked about is debt may be more expensive. So does the industry turn or turn back to maybe short-term debt, variable rate debt, which is lower rates, less expensive, but there are risks. Nothing is risk-free. Nothing is free. There's risks, as we learned in 2008 with bank risk, variable rate risk, hidden risks. So we're hoping lessons learned from that period will be applied on the go forward. 
How are those forces going to impact the way health systems think about their investment portfolio and how they want to use scarcer than ever resources for either investments or capital or what? That's going to be a critical question. What are those resources used for? Historically, it's been a one-way flow. As capital got generated or resources got generated from operations or even from debt, those things went into investment portfolios and then those portfolios got put to work in the markets. A central question is, does it now become a two-way flow? Do those resources start coming out of those portfolios in order to fund strategic initiatives? That changes if you think about it as a two-way flow, how organizations would be doing all sorts of things, including investment. How much do they put into different, less liquid strategies? Just how is the entire way that they approach the investment function starts to change if those resources become more of a part of funding operations on an ongoing basis versus being held back as this anchor that creates a credit foundation, creates resiliency, this almost virtually perpetual rainy day fund. Or the way universities tried to do it, like saying, oh, we've got an endowment model where we keep these things over. We might have an endowment spend some amount that trickles out and comes over into operations, but the corpus of it is held in perpetuity. And then The secondary question is, given all of the volatility that exists across operations and strategy, will they be incented in any way or should they start thinking about dialing down investment or keeping it higher? And that's an interesting question that everybody debates is if you're not generating as much from the operating side of the house, do you look to the investment side of the house to offset that? So do you take more risk and try to create return in the investment side of the equation to offset operating losses or lower operating returns? That's one approach. Another approach is that says more like, well, we've got so much risk in our investment, in our operating side of things right now, we need to de-risk on the investment side and we need to accept less return and go to less risky strategy. Healthcare organizations are going to come to very different conclusions on those two things. It's a threshold conversation and getting a proactive answer from our perspective on that question is critical. It's something every organization should be doing. I'm not sure they are doing it versus just sort of letting what's in place roll, but it's an area where they should actually be looking at it and saying, we want to do this or we want to do that. We want to make a decision and be very proactive about what role we think that these resources play and how do they connect with what's going on across operations and strategy. Thanks, Eric. What is the thought around poor reimbursement or denied care by commercial insurers? Do you have any thoughts on how we might curb this? A few clients have said we've called XYZ to open our contract midterm. And then we ask, well, what's the response? And some have said, no, they're like, we'll see you at contract expiration. And others are saying, well, they've agreed to meet with us. The insurers are publicly traded. They have their own shareholders, et cetera. But there within lies the rub. Their margins, which have been very strong compared to the consumers, i.e. the hospitals, the providers of healthcare. Gotcha. Makes sense. We got a variation of this question a couple of times, but curious for the health systems that had positive margins in 2022, what were they doing differently? 
I'll start. We actually put out a research piece on who's bucking the trend and how are they doing it? Because not all hospitals are doing poorly. And you think, well, how can that be? Labor is a ubiquitous problem. The characteristics that we've seen about those who are doing okay with positive margins are typically located in high growth markets. So think about the Carolinas, places like Atlanta, parts of Texas, Florida does well. Think about retirement areas like Phoenix, where there is very strong population growth that will drive volumes and volumes can help. It doesn't cover all the cracks, but it certainly covers many of them. We've seen after the vaccines were rolled out and before Omicron really became Omicron. There were health systems that did a deep dive into immediate cost control expense reduction strategies. So they jump-started, whereas others, when Omicron hit, they had to put that on hold. So some got in early on the expense reduction plans. And many of those that are doing okay are not overly leveraged. They did not bet the farm with debt over the past two decades, such that when they hit a rough patch, their debt numbers and debt coverage don't plummet. When you look at those who are doing okay, a low to moderate amount of debt that they can still manage even when they hit those rough periods. Do you think there's any threat to the nonprofit status of health systems, like those that have been on the receiving end of some some of those critical reports from New York Times? Every once in a blue moon on the local level, you may see a city or a municipality say you don't pay property tax. That's one of the benefits of being tax exempt, but maybe a payment in lieu of taxes called a pilot to the local city because we provide city water, city police force, city fire department, et cetera. We haven't seen those of late and that's very situational. Perfect. A question about private equity backed ventures. Do you have any insight into how they're performing? Are they on the same page as hospitals? Are they also performing poorly or are they experiencing a different path? couple ways to answer that. There's private equity that own and operate for-profit hospital systems. And for the most part, when you look at HCAs and the other large for-profit healthcare systems, their margins are down, but they're they're still positive, then typically they have a fair amount of leverage. They don't accumulate cash like a not-for-profit does, and they don't because they have private equity funding, or maybe they're not private equity, maybe they're publicly traded and they can do an equity raise. Obviously, not-for-profits do not have that lever to pull. When I think about private equity now, I think about many of the disruptors. Private equity is going full throttle into healthcare technology. They're going full throttle into ambulatory care, not as capital intensive. Private equity to me is looking to take everything that walks out the front door of a hospital, imaging, blood testing, testing, follow-up care, ambulatory care. And they're looking to take everything before someone walks into the hospital. So pre-testing, imaging, et cetera. That's where they've really invested their resources. That's where they're looking to grow. And there's a lot of tech involved in that. How are they doing? They kind of keep it close to the best. Given the economic realities, do you get the sense that systems are continuing to invest in community health programs or programs to address social determinants of health? We've talked about ESG. And ESG to me is a shiny new way of saying community benefit that hospitals have been engaged on for decades. Now it's called ESG. They have been very attuned to addressing healthcare access and inequities in the markets they serve. There is much greater attention being paid. And with that funding dollars as approved by 
the board to address and improve healthcare access, social determinants of health. Undoubtedly, if we didn't already know it, COVID crystallized what we already knew to be the case. And there's a renewed focus on addressing this. This is not a sprint. This is a long-term marathon to address these core fundamental challenges. That makes sense. It wouldn't be SD2 if we didn't try to end on a, a positive note. I'm curious, from your perspective, what were some bright spots in revenue generation in 2022? There was an overall return for many to volumes, maybe again, not back to pre-pandemic 2019 levels, but many showed volume increases off a of lower base, but volume increases. And that spoke to overall patient comfort levels and lack of hesitation now for vaccines. We cannot put off healthcare anymore, feeling comfortable returning to the hospital setting, which is very good for hospital financial performance and healthcare in general. The return of some volumes higher than what we saw in 2021 is a bright spot. Overall, state governments are in good fiscal shape. There was a lot of funding from federal to states during the early days of COVID. A bright spot may be the absence of heavy-duty Medicaid cuts on the revenue side. Consumer balance sheets are probably in better shape than they've been for a bit. So if you think we're poised to be heading into rougher times or recessionary periods, I think maybe we're entering into that with a couple of sides of the equation, state governments at least having decent resources and consumers as well. I think that can change pretty quickly into 2023, one could debate bright spot or not. There were some cuts that were scheduled to take place. Effective January 1, there was another layer of sequestration. There was the physician Medicare reimbursement rate reduction. They did not go into effect. They have kicked the can down the street. So whether or not that's a bright spot or not, but for the time being, better not to have those cuts than to have them. They will have to be addressed. But for the present time, those were cuts that were avoided for now. Lisa and Eric, thanks so much for sharing so much of your insights, thoughts, and expectations for how the current economy is going to impact our collective health system members. Really appreciate hearing your perspective and look forward to having you back on the podcast soon. Thanks. Very good. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening to SG2 Perspectives. As always, I really value your feedback, input, comments or ideas for episodes and you can reach us at sg2perspectives at sg2.com additionally i recommend that you check out some of the other Visient podcasts which cover a range of clinical and operational areas those can all be found at visionink.com backslash podcasts mm-hmm.